God, in the way that we sing, the way that we listen, in the way that uh, your word is preached. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, can you guys give a band a hand for uh, leading us this morning? It sounded awesome. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, who love God and who love people. And a big part of how we do that is just preaching through God's word um, every Sunday. And, and over the last month, uh, we've just been blessed with so many awesome preachers and communicators uh, coming here to Mercy Fellowship to share God's word, to share good news. And I've been blessed uh, by getting to just kind of sit under uh, the teaching of other great pastors and preachers. And so like, that's been a joy, hasn't it? Like this last month, having people besides me preaching. I think it's great. I, I think it's great. Um, well, you're, you're stuck with me now uh, because I'm back. And um, so today um, it is, you know, I think, you know, officially we can just say summer's done, right? Like, I mean, come on. Like, is the sun even ever going to rise again is maybe what we're wondering at this point. And so uh, as we close up summer, uh, we're going to kind of wrap up just uh, some time in the Psalms that we've been in over the last uh, month or so. And so today we're going to be in Psalm chapter 2. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. That's where we're going to be. But um, if you're coming in for the first time and maybe you don't know the Bible, that's totally fine. Um, like the Psalms uh, are a rich collection. They're an anthology of different songs given to the people of God through the Holy Spirit, through different human authors. Um, but, but they're given for the purpose to be able to both individually and collectively make sense of how we interact with God, how we interact in the world, how we understand ourselves. And it does so the way music does at a very soul level. The music, almost more than anything else, stirs our souls. That's what we began this morning singing, all that thrills my soul is Jesus, right? You might remember that song, you know, you know uh, days uh, into this week before you remember what was preached today. And so music's incredibly powerful. And, and so it helps us make sense of God and the world. And so while the Psalms aren't like a systematic theology that's just kind of like lays out, here's what's true, you know, here's how you respond, very, very clinical, very professorial. No, it, it, it does though, however, teach us doctrine, meaning the Psalms sing things that are true about God, sing things that are true about the human condition uh, and about God and his people. And, and they reveal truths of God's character, and so we do actually, in the Psalms, sing to God as a creator. We sing to God as our redeemer. We sing to him as a king, as, as a general who overcomes. We sing to him as a shepherd who cares for us. And so there's a whole bunch of different types of Psalms, um, even as we sing to God as warrior, king, teacher, judge, and, and all these types of songs. What matters most is what Jesus says about these songs. So in Luke 24, Jesus resurrected from the dead, walking on the road to Emmaus, talking to some of his disciples, and he says all of what we would know as the Old Testament is ultimately about him. So that means every single psalm, yeah, even the imprecatory ones where it's like, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth, are all ultimately about Jesus. And so there's songs that, that are, you know, much more individual in, 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 their, in their nature and, and their longing, what they talk about. And then there's songs that are absolutely much more communal. 
that, that serve um, kind of like, um, like a college football fight song to, to rally the troops. So yesterday, my family and I were at Husky Stadium, and you hear, bow down to Washington. Heaven help the foes of Washington who tremble at the feet of mighty Washington. Right, and you keep singing that on, and eventually there's lyrics about Wazoo that I'm not allowed to say in public because it uses bad words. Uh, and so it's just, just the way the song's written. Okay, uh, college kids wrote it. It's fine. And so, like, but it stirs us collectively. And so Psalm 2 that we're going to read about today is, is what would be considered for the nation of Israel, for God's people, as like a national anthem song. That, that, that unified them in their collective identity around the kingship of God. And so David, uh, who wrote this song, is writing on two different levels. David was a king. He was a king at a time that Israel was very prosperous. So he, he's writing as a king, and he's also writing to the king. What it means for him to be someone who has authority, but is also under the authority of the king, creator of the universe, who is God. And so Psalm 2 is one of these most, like, most quoted uh, psalms in all of the New Testament. And it's about two different plots, two different kind of warring factions, if you will. It talks about the unity of nations gathering together in opposition to God, and then, and then God ultimately saying, hey, it's going to be in vain, uh, and let me tell you why. And so uh, if you turn your Bibles, you can go there to Psalm chapter 2. Um, one last thing about Psalm 2 is Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 were part 1 and part 2 of the opening song for the whole book. So it's kind of setting the tone. Psalm 1, if you read it, and you can take your time to read it later, all individual. It's very much, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Very, very individual. Psalm 2, though, however, very, very communal. And so two parts, same song. So like, like if you're like me, um, right, I'm a fan of Queen. Anybody know rock band Queen, right? There we go, okay. So right, if you ever hear on the radio, we will rock you, right? We know this song, we will rock you. There's clapping that goes along with it and you stomp your feet, right? If you ever listen to it on the radio or listen to it on a record, it fades from, Psalm, from we will rock you into what? Anybody know? We, are the, we don't know because we're from Seattle. We are the champions, right? Other towns get to like sing that song often, uh, right? And so, so it goes from we'll rock you to we are the champions. It's a collection uh, song together. So Psalm 2 is, I'm going to read the first few verses here. I want you to know this is fading right from Psalm 1. It says this, first three verses. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So like I said, two parts of an opening song, one and two. So if you want to just back up for a second, you can read the last verse of Psalm 1 as well. And it says this, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous so he's saying, hey, there, there's a path that leads to life. There's a path that is good rather than evil. There's a path that leads to flourishing and holiness and life and joy and freedom and all, all good things in that category. And then he says, but the way of the wicked, the way that is evil, the way that is opposed to God, a way that doesn't lead to flourishing life, a way that is not the way that God designed. He says, that way will perish. So he lays out two paths. So, so if you're reading this, right, the, the way of the, uh, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked will perish. 
beat drop, chord change. So given these two paths, why do the nations rage? That's what he's saying. That's what the psalmist is saying. Hey, there are two binary paths. There's a path that leads to life. There's a path that leads to death. One is with God. One is holy. One is good. One is through and with Jesus. One is opposed to him. One is evil. One is wicked. One doesn't lead to life. It will end. It will perish. It will be in destruction. So why are you waging against this? Like, he's laying out such a clear choice. Evil good. Death, life. So the psalmist is saying, why, why, why would the nations get together to plot to overthrow God's plan? See, I, I believe, and I was talking with my kids about this on the, on the drive-in, that every single one of us has a conscience that whether you call it the Holy Spirit or not, it tells you, it's that still small voice that tells you that you are a created being, that you are not an accident. If you are, that there is a creator who made you, and because you're created, that means that you were created intentionally. That means you were created for a purpose, and that that purpose ultimately is to, to both worship God and enjoy Him and His creation forever. That's the purpose that you were made. And so you think, okay, well, God made me. I'm made for a purpose. That should lead us to a response of gratitude. And yet, you can like, read the, the, the whole narrative of the Bible, the whole narrative of the human condition, and every time we, we see something that is worthy of worship and how good God is, we don't answer and respond with worship, but instead it seems like we answer and respond with rage and rejection. I say that because just key points in the Bible, like, like from, from the beginning of the garden, we, we respond to God's provision um, and goodness with rejection. Uh, when, when God's people are brought out of slavery um, from Egypt, but they're being led in the wilderness, it leads to revolt. And ultimately, we see in the death of Jesus, regicide, murdering of the king in response to the king showing up, saying, I'm here. I'm for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to save you. And so this has been our disposition towards God as a king from the beginning. And so um, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they, they, like Psalm 2, counseled together. Actually, it says with Satan himself. They counseled together and, and they said, hey, no, no, what we need to do is actually to, to declare our independence from God. The issue on the table was, will we or will we not submit to God? And, and when, they, when they counseled together, what they drafted up was, it might sound very familiar to us, especially as Americans, they drafted up something that sounded like this. We, the people of the garden, in an effort to form a more perfect union, declare our independence from our creator and do so to cast off the totalitarian restraints of his one oppressive law of refraining from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. And, and from that time, from that moment, every human in institution and, and, and governments and, and societies and structures have all in some way, shape, or form been impacted by sin, been impacted by that rejection of God as king, seeking independence not, not from, from tyranny and evil, okay? I'm, I'm all about, like, I mean, we're American. I'm like, I'm for independence from, you know, England, right? But no, independence rather from, from God. 
And, and, and they do so with, with a promise of freedom, right? And here in Psalm 2, it says that they're going to break the bondage from this God. There's a promise of flourishing. The nations are plotting to overthrow this source of life and of joy. And so I think we need to understand how, when it says the nations rage, how that plays out for us just, just geopolitically. Meaning, how does that play out for us, like, in the way nations are formed now? Because I think, you know, as, you know, good, blue-blooded uh, Americans, when we hear, yeah, the nations rage, we're like, yeah, Russia, like, invading Ukraine. That's, I mean, that's so, so that, that's raging, right? Maybe you're like, no, no, I mean, China, oh, man, for sure raging, right? People's Republic of China, Communist Party, right? Totalitarian, okay, maybe, maybe Iran. Oh, only, only here's the thing. It doesn't say some nations rage. It doesn't say just, just the bad ones, but don't worry, you're in a good one. What does he say rages? It says the nations. All of them. Yeah, North Korea, but also the United Kingdom. Yeah, Iran, but also us. And so we see that throughout human history, right? The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans, the Greeks, the nations rage. And in doing so, it's, it's a rejection of God. And so what's happening here is this great intentionality of it's like a United Nations uh, assembly is happening and they're getting together and they're saying, hey, hey, we don't need God. In fact, if anything, this God, it seems like a really, really mean guy. I mean, we gotta cast off these, these bonds. We gotta cast off these, these cords, uh, the, like this God that's holding us in bondage. And so I think it's important for us. I would say particularly if you're someone who's a Christian, if you're somebody who said, no, my allegiance is to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that before I'm anything else, I'm a Christian, before I'm an American or, or whatever, or Canadian or, or French, or, I mean, if you're French, you probably already surrendered anyway, so it's okay. Um, Little, little world history humor there. It's fine. Okay. But if you are looking at the world and you see all of the world totally unified, like all on the same page, jo- arm in arm, joint declarations, like joint mandates, everything they're doing is exactly the same. Unless it is directly aligned with the will of God. And you're able to say, oh, this is leading to greater flourishing and justice and peace and all these things. Then no, that's the nations aligning together apart from God and rejecting God. And it should maybe just be a little, little check in your spirit when everybody's on the same page, but it just doesn't happen to be on any of these pages. And so the writer of this song, David, he wonders, why would they try to attempt to overthrow God? Don't they understand it says what they're doing in vain? I mean, I love that right away at the beginning, that first verse, before you hear like, okay, they're all plotting, they're all enraged, they're gonna try to overthrow God and his anointed, but right away, you know, they're gonna lose, right? It's like watching the beginning of Titanic. You know the ship's not gonna make it, right? It's gonna lose, Okay, if you don't know, Titanic is a movie uh, about a spoiled uh, r- uh, rich girl um, who never learned how to share. Uh, and so at the end of the movie, her boyfriend dies because she doesn't let him stay uh, on the floating raft. And there's other stuff that happens about it too, but that's what I took away from the film. Okay. Say, why, why, why would you do this? It's gonna fail. Well, it also says that they're not just rejecting God, they're, they're rejecting a very, God in a very specific way. 
The rejection of God is also a rejection of Jesus. Like I said, this psalm, all these psalms, they're all about Jesus. So when it says, hey, let's, let's take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, anointed is where we get the word or concept of Messiah. It's where you get the concept of Christ, of the, the Savior King of God's people. And so they don't like the idea of a God-given Messiah. They, like, like the world is very okay with Jesus. Like we, we like Jesus, unless he's king, unless he's God. In fact, Jesus can be anything but king or God, demanding allegiance, commanding our respect and our reverence. And so unfortunately what we do politically, and if I had more time, I'd go into more detail, but like, so we make up socialist Jesus. Well, we gave bread to everybody. You know, we, we, we give like, you know, universal health care Jesus because he healed people. We definitely get patriotic Jesus, right? You know, like, like we all got our Jesuses that we like to use to, to co-opt kind of our political identities. And yet what we're being called to is to all be under the authority and the identity of one king, and that's Jesus. That we're to be conformed and shaped to his will, not us trying to reshape and remake him into our image. And so again, we ask, what is driving their rebellion? What's driving their rage? I believe that the text teaches us here that the reason for the rebellion, the reason for the rejection of God is that they misunderstand God's character. To put it more simply, they get God wrong. And how do I know this? Well, it says, right, that, that, that we can do better than God, right? They're gonna counsel together, Right, we've got to burst these bonds apart. We're in bondage. We're in slavery. This God is so mean and so horrible. And so what, what they're doing is, is they're looking at the world. I think, give them some credit, realistically, they're seeing that there's brokenness in the world. Can we all admit there's brokenness in this world? We can call it sin. You can call it whatever you want. But there's something not right. There's something not right at a societal level. There's something not right at a soul level. And all of those things disconnect us from God. They disconnect us from one another. They, they rob us of joy, rob us of life. And the Bible calls that sin. And so these nations counsel together and they say, well, the reason there's sin in the world must be because God's so mean. God's so bad, or God allowed these horrible things to happen. They place the blame on God, and they're saying God's the one who's enslaved us. They get God wrong, and they get ourselves wrong. It's actually your sin that enslaves you. Yeah, there's, we want to be clear, we've suffered abuse, we've gone through other things. Other people's sin absolutely impacts us. Societally, when there's injustice, when there's economic challenges, when there's war, all that, when it happens in, in family structures and there's hurt and there's pain, when there's, when there's abuse, all, all of those things, they all impact us too. That's not God. That's humanity's sin enslaving humanity. See, um, I think I can say this with great confidence. God's not the one who put us in bondage. He's the one who brings freedom. And, and that theme is throughout the entirety of the scriptures. But, but here's a place that maybe you haven't seen it before, um, Hosea, Old Testament prophet, chapter 11, verse four, says this. This is God talking about his bondage and his cords. I, I, I led them, he says, with cords of kindness, with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. That is angry Old Testament prophet God saying that, yeah, my, my bondage for them, the slavery I have them in, 
kindness and love. No, I'm not going to make them earn their provision. I'm not going to make them earn their salvation. I'm going to come down to them. I'm going to ease their yoke of slavery. I'm going to come and provide for them. God's going to come to you in your need, and he's going to be the one that provides. That's God's kindness. That's how God rules. That's the, that's the oppression, kindness and love. Jesus double downs on this concept when he teaches in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, he says this. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me ask you to consider, where have you gotten God wrong? How have you misunderstood the character and nature of God? And then if you want to do a thought exercise, carry that out. Have you misunderstood God? How has that led to wrong impressions about God and his intentions and who he is? And then how has that led you to wrong actions in response to who God is? See, for the nations walking in sin, they've misinterpreted God as somehow evil, and so their response is, I mean, natural, right? If God's evil, then we better better fight against that. They got God wrong. And yet, in all of their turmoil and conspiring against God, it will be for nothing. God, God, they've spoken, they're counseling, but God's about to respond, and he does so here in verses four through nine. He says this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision or mocking. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. He will terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And you shall break them, or other uh, translations say rule them, or shepherd them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. And so our, our scene is shifted, right? First scene in, in Psalm chapter two is kind of that UN general assembly, council of the nations all together. And, and, and that might seem really impressive, right? Anytime you get a bunch of people together, it just seems more impressive than, than, than when we're all trying to do it on our own. Right, I think if individually, if I asked uh, every one of us, you know, individually, can you overthrow God? You'd be like, no, I mean, I crossfit, but I don't think I can take him, right? But then you get a bunch of people together, and, and there's a pride that happens in a false unity opposed to God. And, and we saw that, like, in the Bible, in the Tower of Babel, right? All peoples together, like, oh, we, can, we don't need God. We can build this on our own. And so in that false pride They've gathered together, but now we're going to see that there's another answer coming. That there's a court and a council above the council of this earth, and it's a council from heaven. And so that council on earth, I mean, like I said, they, they've gotten God wrong. Um, you guys all know this. Me and my family, huge, huge Hamilton fans. Uh, I, the musical, uh, I, I mean, rap battles about, you know, U.S. history, phenomenal, right? Uh, and so in, in the musical Hamilton, Right, there's this scene uh, early on in the first uh, act, um, and, and, and King George shows up. 
And, and, like, and we're on Team America, right? I mean, we're like, we definitely want to beat England. And so the King George shows up, and he's super pompous and super prideful. He's got his, you know, little frilly coat on and everything. Uh, and, and he's like, hey, no, I, I love you. You're, you're, my, you're my favorite subjects. I, I, I want to just, I'm here to remind you of my love for you. I, I, I'm going to send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. I'm going to kill your friends and family to remind you of my love, da-da-da-da-da. That's how it goes, kind of something like that, right? And I think, we think that's who God is. That God's some evil king. That God's some despot. That God's just low-grade angry with us at all points. And certainly, those who are walking opposed to God in Psalm 2, they've miscast God as the evil tyrant to be overthrown. So we've got to remind ourselves, no, 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 no. There's the council in heaven. God there, council of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, united in the greatest authority. And so when we're, when we're hearing about all these nations raging and all these plots going on, God does not have any fear or concern. God's not in heaven seeing all the nations together and just being like, oh shoot, they're doing that? Guys, we, we, we got to prepare. I mean, we got we to buy more flour. Um, and, and uh, you know, we, we got we to get the stores, uh, you know, full of stuff. Like they, I don't know, these people might win. No, God's like, wait, they're, they're doing what? The people I've created, their plan is to overthrow me, the creator? With what? Like, stuff I created? Like, he's, he's mocking them. It says he, he laughs. And he's not laughing because he knows they're going to fail. I mean, that may be part of it. He does care about their hearts. Let me be clear. God cares about your hearts. He, he's not just there they're mocking you. But he is saying that, that some things are worthy of, of mocking. The CEO of the Babylon Bee, Seth Dillon, it's a satire site. He says, sometimes bad ideas flourish because they weren't effectively mocked. And so God is, is, when he says holds them in derision, that word means mocking. He's mocking their plans and he's mocking their premises. He's mocking their plans because he's saying, okay, let me get this straight. You guys are created beings. You're going to try to overthrow me and, and reject me. I'm the source of, of life and, and purpose and, and all those things. And, and again, how are you going to win? Like, what are you going to use to try to beat me? Like guns and tanks? Like, it's like if you got a, a kid, like a toddler, who's like, hey, um, I want to run away, but could you make me like some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? And then like, can you give me an iPhone with Apple Pay? I want to be independent, just totally want to be independent, but if you could like order me an Uber and then like do all the things for me, like that's the foolishness of, of rebelling against God. Let me say it this way as well. If you're opposed to God, you're waging war against God. You're rebelling. No, no, I, I'm uh -uh, not that guy. I don't, I don't like God. You're fighting a battle against a person, the creator of the universe, who gives you breath and makes your heart beat. You're fighting a battle against the person who makes you breathe and makes your heart beat, who at any moment can go into the back end of the system and be like, boop, heart stop. 
oh, I'm turning all oxygen into like cow farts. Can't breathe anymore. Like, that's why he's mocking it. This is a dumb plan. You're so stupid. You're trying to beat the creator. And then furthermore, he's mocking their premises. Because like I said, they got God wrong. See, they think that this this declaration of independence, they think this freedom from God's gonna lead to greater joy, greater flourishing, like life is gonna be so much better without God. God is so mean that God who invented sex, sunsets, and chocolate, he's the worst. That's their premise. That's your premise if you're opposed to God. Everything that is good and right in this world that you enjoy or find beauty in or find pleasure in in some way is rooted from the creator who made it to help you enjoy it. That is a good God. That's a God worthy of your worship. That's a God worthy of your respect. That's a God worthy of your gratitude. And so I want you to ask yourself, Where does your plan for your life need to be interrupted a little bit by God? Where does your view of God need to be reoriented to be reminded of how good he is, how powerful he is, how just he is? Where do you need to be lovingly corrected so that your path can be one that ultimately leads to flourishing and not like the people in Psalm 2 whose path is destined for failure? God goes on in verse seven through nine. He's speaking, he's in response. And in verses seven through nine, he's saying, yeah, I've got a plan for you that's different than the counsels of this world and I'm gonna carry it out personally, he says. And so in in verses seven through nine, we really dial into the identity of who this king is. I already told you that all the Psalms are about Jesus, but but you also can see it in the text here. Um, See, when it says... um, In Psalm 7, the Lord said to me, you are my son today, I've begotten you. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. What he's doing here is he's saying, as David's writing, that this is God's own son. That David, the king, was actually given a promise from God, a covenant from God, that David's throne would never be vacant. It would never be empty. And so while the world's raging and plotting and saying, you know, hey, we got to take the throne here, God's saying, hold up, I already got my king on the throne. I've already placed him in Zion, that's God's holy city. So the throne's not open like Game of Thrones, like a bunch of warring people trying to figure out who's going to be in charge. He's saying, no, no, seat's taken. That throne that you have on your heart that you're trying to place yourself on, God says, no, no, that throne's mine too. Because my desire is for you and your joy and flourishing. And that happens when God is on the throne of your heart, not you trying to be the kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. And so Jesus is the son of David. We know this because he was born from David's line and he was born in Bethlehem. We, we celebrate that at Advent, uh, uh, you know, at Christmas, you know, the birth of Jesus coming in and, and, and Jesus throughout um, the New Testament is called the son of David. That's an allusion to Psalm 2 being that anointed king. And when Jesus begins his public ministry, he's, he's being baptized. He's actually identifying with the rebels He's identifying with those sinners who need to be made clean, those, those exiles who need to be brought home. 
And while Jesus is being baptized, it said the heavens opened up and God said, quoting from Psalm 2, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then it says that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, commissioned, anointed, made the cry. Like, like all from Psalm 2 here. Just revealing the plot, just being reminded, hey, it's Jesus is the king. And that these two truths, that Jesus is God and that Jesus is king, they either require your reception and response of humble worship or rejection and opposition. If you continue on, Jesus' earthly ministry comes to a conclusion. And it's a scene from Psalm 2. The nations raged. The religious leaders got together and said, whoa, whoa hold up. This guy says he's God. We're, we're the religious people. We're, he, he says he's God, and he says he can forgive sin. He can forgive you. He can, he can take those bonds of his sin and shame have given you, and he can burst those bonds apart and give you freedom and forgiveness. And those just people are like, hold up, he can't forgive sin because if he forgives sin, then people won't have shame anymore. And religious people, all we got is shame. That's all we got to control people is shame. And so like, we got to kill that guy. And like, you know, but you know what? Let's not do this alone. Let's get a few other people involved. Let's get, let's get Herod involved, the, the, the puppet king who just wants to see Jesus show up and do some miracles. And Jesus, why don't you be my puppet that I'll co-opt for my political purposes? And that's not enough. And so they get, they get Herod. They also get Pilate on board, the governor from Rome, just a good bureaucrat doing his job, following orders, washing his hands of the whole thing. It's a scene from Psalm 2. The nations colluding together to rage against God himself showing up to bring provision and healing and life and forgiveness. And I know some of us might have kind of like a little bit of a anti-government bent or like, oh yeah, those big religious political elites. But the Bible doesn't let us off the hook either. Because when given a choice, it says the people, the assembled crowd, they chanted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So we're all guilty. And so where humanity's word against Jesus as king, Jesus as savior, Jesus as God, their word was rejection and rebellion. They crucify him, he's dead, he's buried, and they're like, oh, phew. glad that's past us. Now we can go, go on with our lives. Rome can keep going on for thousands and thousands of years. It's all gonna be great. Plot over, God's plan done. Their word's rejection, but God's word was resurrection. That tomb's actually empty, that we believe Jesus Christ is alive, that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning, that our word was rebellion and God's word was redemption. And Jesus promises his return. He says that that return, that word is restoration. This is what our God has promised us, that all of the nations will be his, that he will possess the whole earth, that, that God actually is all about diversity, bringing nations together, tribes, tongues, ethnicities, cultures. It's absolutely about unity, all under the authority and rule and reign of King Jesus.
all united around Jesus Christ as king. See, I said earlier that Jesus was gentle and lowly. That's true. That is his heart. That is his disposition. And sometimes I think that gives us a perspective of Jesus that he's somehow weak. But here when we read in Psalm 2 in verses 8 and 9, it talks about him ruling. Right? It's, it says that he's got a rod of iron. That's his strength. And, and that rod of iron, and that word uh, ruling can also mean shepherding. That's God correcting. That's God disciplining. That's God moving you from a place of great pride to a place of greater humility. It's God defending uh, what is evil and unjust in the world. It's God defeating evil for the purposes of victory. That we actually worship, yes, the slain Savior. Like we're going to take communion and we're going to be reminded that our sla- Savior was killed on a cross but we don't worship a dead savior we worship a ruling and reigning savior we worship like the warrior king jesus where mercy and grace are not a display of his weakness it is his power under control to attract us to his allegiance that God's answer for this chaotic conspiracy of the nations and, and the tumultuous raging against him is, is peace, but it is peace through victory and peace through strength. And so we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry because we worship a God who is strong. He says he'll, he'll break and dash them to pieces. That, that, that is everything that is opposed to God's rule and reign in the world. The justice will come. The evil will end. That your suffering has purpose, but your suffering also has an end. And so as Christians, we then are commissioned to go and make disciples of who? All the nations. And he tells us as disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what our, our purpose and, and disposition and prayer and heart's longing is until Jesus returns. Not my kingdom come or my will be done, but, but his. So how do we respond to these truths of who God is? Because there's been this scene of kind of the UN General Assembly. There's been the, there's been the council in heaven. There's been the scene of the cross in Calvary. But there's one more scene that God wants us to consider. Last two verses as we close. It says this. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's one more scene that God wants all of us to consider. And it's that moment, that moment that every one of us is going to have happen. It's that moment where we are summoned before the king. And that will either happen when you die or when Jesus comes back, but it will happen. And I just want to be clear, like, it will be a summons. It won't be like a, well, I got that Facebook invite. I'm going to mark maybe, which means no, but I want to be polite, right? It's like, no, you're, you're going to be summoned into the throne of the king. He says, so Kings and queens of this world, kings and queens that look at themselves in the mirror each morning, 
Be wise and be warned. Like, it sounds ominous, but this is, I just got to tell you, this is God being so gracious to us. God is gracious to say, hey, I want you to be prepared for that moment. The Bible actually says that the fear of God, the reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. So he says, be wise, be warned. He's saying, hey, revere God. Know how great and powerful and strong God is. He's like, and then repent and use your strength and energy to actually serve God. And in doing so, it's gonna lead you to greater life. You're actually gonna be aligned with God's purposes. Be wise and be warned. His warning is a gracious gift for our repentance. So the first application I would just say is to consider what is it going to be like when you meet God face to face? And I would encourage you that your answer should be one of humility and humble reliance of just Jesus Christ as King. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. Lord, I've been trying to be my own King and my own Queen of my own Kingdom. And I've made it look really good for a while. But ultimately, God, I know that you are the one that rules and reigns. The other thing I want it to do for us in these verses is when we see just the world raging. I mean, guys, we're, we're like, what, 14 months away from an election again, which, I mean, it just feels like we just had the last one. I'm already exhausted, um, right? Like, when we, when we see like, oh, Russia invades Ukraine, or, you know, what's, what's happening next? What's going on with gas prices? What's going on with all these, these things? Like, like, when we see the things that just really concern us, like, I'll just tell you, for me, the last two weeks, all, all of a sudden I see articles about masks, and I'm like, not today, Satan. My am not playing that again. And I could get fearful, but I know that the nation's plot in vain. They can have all the plans they want for the world, but there's a plan for the world, and it's the one that God has laid out. And so in all circumstances, it should lead us to greater rest and humble confidence as Christians on the ultimate trajectory of history. That it does bend towards justice, but it's justice in light of who God is. And then lastly, it says, right, kiss the sun. That's like, that's like kiss the ring. It's pledge allegiance to Jesus, pay homage to an allegiance to Jesus. That Psalm 1 begins with, hey, this blessing to avoid sin. Psalm 2 ends with this blessing. It says it's found for all who take refuge in him. The last thing I just want you to consider that we all are in need of a refuge. We're in need of a refuge from this world. And, and, and I think sometimes if we're like, oh yeah, but yeah, I'm gonna find my refuge in God. I think that makes us think that we're gonna be refugees in a refugee camp. But I can tell you that the Bible describes our ultimate destiny with God, not like a refugee camp, but like an amazing city full of splendor and glory. And it's joyful. And so we don't need to fear. All of us need refuge. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so we need refuge from just justice. Theologian Derek Kinder on these verses says it this way meaning talking about from Jesus, there's no refuge from him. And you can't, you can't hide from God. You can't hide from Jesus. But he says there's only refuge in him. Um, there's a scene in Hamilton where 
Um, uh, George Washington is, is singing about the end of his administration, and he sings a song one last time, and, and he's singing about um, uh, everybody with their own vine and fig tree. It's actually an allusion to um, the scripture that happens in Micah and several other places throughout the Old Testament, um, and it's that longing for that place of rest and security and belonging where you and I don't have to fight anymore, you and I don't have to strive anymore, that, that we just we know that we are held and kept by the God who knows and loves us. That's his destiny for us. When our faith is in him, when our refuge is in him, when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. God, you're good for us. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 2. God, that no matter what happens in the world, no matter what raging or plotting or conspiring that we do or that we see or that we experience, Lord, that we have the promise that it's ultimately in vain. Holy Spirit, I don't know the condition of everyone's heart here, but you do. And so God, I would just pray that if today that there are people here that, that don't know you, they haven't pledged their allegiance to you, they're still trying to be the kings and queens of their own kingdom. God, that they would not be humiliated. no but the Holy Spirit, that you would humble them so they could experience refuge, restoration, forgiveness, redemption that ultimately leads to flourishing and glory and joy. And your faith and trust is in Jesus.